Great. We welcome you. And um, they'll, uh, we're going to go straight into our boot camp now. I'll hand over to Mark. Just a couple of quick announcements. The first is that uh, several folks said they can't make all four of the sessions. Some can't make this session. Others, It is being taped in our, in, in, on our recording equipment, which means it will go straight onto the computer, which means you can download it and whatever you, I play it or whatever. If you want a CD of that, then we can get that organized. Now, here's, here's some good news. The church generously have just handed you a lovely little booklet. Isn't that a nice little booklet? Isn't that nice? Okay, that's obviously for boot camp. And it's, um, if perchance you wanted to um, uh, pay for it, <laughs> then um, I would like you to feel free to do so, all right? But there is no obligation. Uh, therefore there is a box here which will be here for the next couple of weeks and I shall leave it down here somewhere in fact I shall tell you exactly where I'm going to leave it just here look all right. so um, the, the books cost £15 um, so any extra goes to me okay so um, <laughs> you know just, you just feel free to put what in that box wherever you feel and it may well be you wanted to pay for someone else's book, book so then just put their money in there great it's good to see you we're not going to waffle anymore we're going to pray and we uh, hand over to Mark can we just say thank you for Mark for coming it's great to have him here and um, <laughs> Father we thank you for the privilege of Christian fellowship Lord we don't take that for granted we know that m- m- most of these folks here will be in small groups home groups this evening and we thank you Lord that we've taken time out to be together and that's good we just pray oh God that you would uh, make this evening and the next three evenings worthwhile for all of us we pray Lord that we will be better equipped to simply be a witness for you in our workplaces and our homes bless Mark thank you Lord for Mark thank you Lord for his uh, ministry thank you Lord for his ability to communicate and we just commend him and us to you now in Jesus name Amen 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 Oh that sounds Oh 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 I've had a busy day as well but good evening are you all well is this a little bit close yes (laughs) great welcome to you all this evening and uh, always good to see so many people coming out and wanting to get that bit better at sharing their faith so so bless you for that Uh, before we kind of crack on with the what we want to get on with in the beginning or the first part of your workbooks there is something that is now going to strike the fear of God into any self-employed person. There is a self-assessment form. Yes. <laughs> and uh, what I want you to do is just spend a few minutes. It, uh, it's not going to be torn out and handed in or anything like that. I want you to spend a few minutes and give yourself a kind of confidence score. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. Just fill in uh, the, the first column. That's because that's before the course. That's now. Uh, be really, really honest about it. And uh, hopefully, uh, at the end of the course, you'll be able to score yourself again. And plan A is that we get bigger numbers in the final column than we've got in the first column, which generally means there's been an improvement. Okay? So even if you feel you have to lie, if you could do that, it'll do my self-confidence no end of good. All right, so I'll give you a few minutes to look at that, and, uh, and then we'll crack on with uh, what we want to touch and look at this evening. Okay, everybody done that? You can obviously uh, fill that in at your leisure. If you get bored through the course of this evening, you can go on and turn them into all sorts of little characters and such. You've started already, John. Stop it, all right? But, um, okay, are you ready? Shall we begin? Yes. Fasten your seatbelts, and we're going to rock and roll. Now, let me say a couple of things before we get going. Some stuff you'll um, already know. Some stuff will be stuff that you've not looked at before. And some of the stuff we'll be covering will be stuff that you used to know and that you've forgotten. And some stuff will be stuff that you see in a different way. But I honestly believe that if you can come along to as many sessions as you possibly can, I understand that there are circumstances that might hinder you doing that every night. But I honestly think you'll get a lot out of the course. It's practical. It's lots of tips and lots of tools. And 
I suppose I need to say to you that I'm not, in a sense, speaking as an evangelist per se this evening. I am. But actually what I'm doing is I'm wanting to kind of unpack for you stuff that I've learned over the 20 odd years that I have been an evangelist. But actually over all the years that I've been trying to share my faith with people and things that I found really helpful. And uh, I actually really enjoy sharing my faith with people. It's really easy. The problem is we think it's really hard. Uh, What we've got to do is work at creating what I call easy moments. Uh, when it's easy to share our faith. And then when we do, we can take the opportunities. But what stops us taking the opportunities is that we feel a bit fearful at times. So hopefully, as as we go through these next four weeks, you'll feel full of faith and uh, feel well able to to share your faith. We're going to be looking at tonight, what is evangelism and communication of the gospel? So in the first part, we're just going to lay a bit of a foundation. And in the second part, we're going to look at um, how we actually articulate the gospel. I still believe we should share the gospel with people. I do. I think we should love people, but I still believe we have to get some words there. And um, we need to work on that quite a bit, because it's the sort of thing that often uh, we feel a bit rubbish at. We get the opportunity, and we kind of like splurt a load of stuff out and think, oh, I got all that wrong, I wish I'd have said that, and that. We want to nail that. We don't want that. We want to grab the opportunity when it's there. So that's why we're looking at the gospel in the second part of uh, the evening. So just a few quick things to be aware of. The course is structured for looking at individual areas. That's because we want to give some good attention to the individual areas in evangelism. However, I've discovered that sharing your faith isn't quite as structured as this course. It isn't. It's messy. It's all over the place. But just to look at the various kind of component parts of sharing our faith, we've got to give it a little bit of structure. So we're going to look at tonight what I've already told you. Next week, we're going to look at your story. I hope you know... That your story is one of the most powerful tools in evangelism. I hope you know that, don't you? Okay, week three, handling objections and the objector to the gospel. Week four, we're going to look at how we can help a person to become a Christian. And what we do with them when they have. And then we're going to, at the second part of that evening, we're going to have a time where we just ask God to fill us afresh with his spirit. Because truthfully, we need to do the teaching stuff. I don't want to equate myself with the good Lord, but it's kind of like what we're doing is like the three years that the disciples spent with Jesus was the teaching bit and he exposed them to a bit of stuff as well. But I always find it fascinating that they spent time with God himself on planet Earth, the world's greatest teacher, and yet they still needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So I'm working on the basis that I'll give it my best shot. But if we're going to make a massive impact, we really need the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. And so at the, part, at the end of the course, we're just going to cry out and worship and pray and ask him to come and, and fill us afresh. So that's where we're going. Is that okay with you? It's the right answer because that's where we are going. I wonder, can I just have a glass of water, Barry, please? And my throat's just a little bit, a little bit dry. That'd be fantastic. Okay, so sharing your faith isn't quite as structured as the course. In the main, in my experience, I tend to find that kind of responding to people's questions tends to be one of the number one entry points to sharing your faith. Uh, that along with your testimony, would that be your experience? Or somebody might say to you, oh you're a Christian, what do you think about this? Or this happened, or that happened, what's your slant on that? And then you get involved with conversation. Or it might well be that just in the course of conversation, your testimony comes out. In truth, it's not often, if we're honest, that people come to you and say, oh tell me what the Christian message is. Do they? Tell me the ins and outs. It's more like, so how does it work out for you? Or what do you think about this? And uh, so that's why I think we need to kind of give those two subjects some real detail. Because they are the subjects we're often the most weakest on. So the course is going to be structured so we can cover some great deal of area. Okay, so that's where we're going. What is evangelism? Good starting point. Because if I was to hand out a piece of paper and say to you, write your definition of evangelism, I would guarantee that we'd all come up with different, different ideas. It doesn't mean that some are wrong and some are right, by the way. It's just that we've all got a completely different understanding of what evangelism is. And so if in, in church we announce, oh, we're going to do some evangelism, everybody pins their understanding 
of evangelism onto that word. And I think there's a few crucial things that we don't understand about evangelism that we need to nail, otherwise all the other things are not going to be as effective as we might hope they would be. So, first part of this evening, what is evangelism? A few little quotations that I find quite inspirational. Uh, Packer, he, he was pretty good. He had a few interesting things to say. To present Christ Jesus to sinful man in order that through the power of the Holy Spirit they may come to put their trust in God through him. So we're presenting Christ Jesus to sinful man. That's evangelism. Yeah. So if we're not presenting Jesus, it's not evangelism. If we're not doing it to people that don't know the Lord, it's not evangelism. Okay? So that's a crucial thing. So that... Again, it's there through the power of the Holy Spirit they may come to put their trust in him. Spurgeon, he was a good lad. He got it right on a number of things. And I like what Spurgeon says on all sorts of things. But he said, evangelism is not simply one of many important things we are to do. But it is in fact the first priority in all we do. All else flows from it. Now, you might say, oh, Spurgeon, what about the other things? I do actually strongly subscribe to what he talks about there. It's interesting in the church, I don't know if you noticed, everybody thinks that what they do is the most important. Their particular department is the most important. But one of the wonderful things about being an evangelist, you can say with real confidence, your department is the most important. Because it's true. I hope that everything we do has evangelism at its heartbeat. Would you agree with me on that? Some of you are not sure, are you? Read the Bible, it's in there, okay? But it is, it's absolutely crucial. I'm not saying that everything we do has got to be evangelism, but it's all got to have that kind of focus that we're wanting to engage with people that don't know the Lord. Archbishop, Archbishop William Temple's being probably one of the most significant archbishops in the Anglican Church, uh, said some phenomenal things. One of the things he said was to evangelise is to, to present Christ, Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you seen the theme coming through? Jesus, power of the Holy Spirit. That men shall put their trust in God through him, accept him as their saviour, and serve him as their king in the fellowship of his church. I like that. I like that quotation. Because to me it kind of summarises that we want people to come to know the Lord so that they can serve him, once they've accepted him as their saviour, then serve him as their king in the fellowship of the church. I know it's not all about bums on seats, but it is about bums on seats. Because I want to see people come to a faith in God, that means they want to come and put a bum on a seat and be part of a church family and and serve God in the church and in the broader community as well. So I like what Spurgeon, uh, William Temple said on this. Now, I'm going to confess, I, I don't really know who this guy is. What I will say is a certain nursery rhyme always springs to my mind whenever I see his name. And those of you laughing have already been going through it in your mind, haven't you? I can tell. Okay, but, so I don't really know who he is. And please don't find out who he is and then tell me because it will ruin that little particular gag. But what I do like is what he said. Evangelism is the proclamation of the good news in words as well as the manifestation of his good news in deeds with the purpose of reconciling men and women to God. Now I want to say a couple of things. um, Tonight and these next four weeks, thank you Barry for the water, we are going to be words heavy. We're looking at the words. That's what the next four weeks is about getting better at the words. Okay. I honestly passionately believe that the mission of the church is not just the words, it's the deeds. And I think the deeds in two ways. Deeds of the Holy Spirit. I'm not that gifted in that. It's not something I understand a great deal of. There are people who can teach into that a lot better than me. Okay, But I'm up for it, aren't you? And the other aspect is just the, the, the deeds of um, loving people and community action and, and, and serving people. And it's great, you know, with the community center that you built here. And again, I'm not strong on um, teaching about social action, but I believe in it. But I, I just want that phrase to be in there because I want you to understand that what I see of what I'm doing, it's part of all of that, even though we're not going to be particularly looking at it over these next four weeks. You understand that, I'm sure. So it's about the manifestation of this good news indeed, with the purpose of reconciling men and women to God. I love that because often people say to me, Mark, what's my ministry? Uh, and I say to them, reconciliation, that's what you mean. No, no, no. It, it, I don't know if I'm a singer or I'm an evangelist or I'm a pastor teacher or, or whatever. I mean, can you, 
Well, your ministry is reconciliation. How you do it, it might be your gifting or your calling maybe, but the ministry of the church is reconciliation. That's, that's what we're about. We've been, God has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. So we're about reconciliation. And that's a great reminder, isn't it, in Coventry, of course, with the cathedral there, reminding us all that actually the, 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 the Christian church is about reconciliation. And we particularly think about evangelism, reconciling men and women to God. Roger Carswell, who's a brilliant evangelist, is one of those annoyingly gifted evangelists that is as brilliant at Bible teaching as he is at preaching the gospel. He's, he's quite reformed in his theology, but um, he's a great speaker. And uh, I love what he said. I've read some profound and verbose, isn't that a great word? Verbose definitions of evangelism. However, as far as I understand it, evangelism is preaching the gospel to non-Christians who are listening and that last bit's really really crucial because I'm not convinced that all of our attempts to preach the gospel have been to a load of non-Christians who are listening and I think we've made it difficult for people to listen because of the way we've articulated or not articulated our faith whichever the case may be I put that quotation there because the underlying thing about the boot camp is about we want to communicate well don't we We've got this phenomenal message that we want to get out to people. And half the battle is just getting it out in a way that people understand. A way that people can actually listen to what we're saying and register what we're saying. So I think it's really, really crucial that it's to non-Christians. I always find it interesting when quite a lot of churches still have a gospel service on a Sunday evening. Now, I don't know if you know the history of gospel services. There's all kinds of kind of anecdotal suggestions as to why we had gospel services. I understand that one of the, the key ones is that um, during the war, sounds like Uncle Albert there, doesn't it, off on fools and horses, but during uh, either the First or Second World War, I can't quite remember, but um, the only places that were allowed lights on were churches. Uh, and so obviously because they were allowed lights on, then people had come out of their homes just to have a bit of light because all, ho- all the houses had to be blacked out. So they'd come. So loads and loads of people who never darkened the door of a church would come to the church. So the church thought, well, if they're there, let's give them the gospel. So they had the gospel service. The problem is the war's finished. People are not coming out now. They've got their own lights on. And uh, we still have a gospel service. It makes me laugh, really. And I think, I think we can recover it, by the way. I think there's a great opportunity to have the gospel service. I don't think the gospel service is dead and buried. In fact, I'm looking at how we can try and help churches with the gospel service. But we can call it all we want. We can put it on our board. And I don't know whether you've got it on the board, so forgive me. I, I'm not being offensive. What I'm saying is we can put it all there if we want. But if we don't have non-Christians there, it's not gospel. So we've got to be communicating to people that aren't Christians. And I know that that's on your heart as a church. He's trying to connect with people out there. So I know that you're with me on that. So it doesn't work. I've heard that so many times. People say to me about, I would do evangelism. It doesn't work. And when I've seen their evangelism, they're absolutely right. It doesn't work. And our personal evangelism often doesn't work. And I think it doesn't work for a number of reasons. Sometimes I think we distort the Christian message. And this is the challenge for you and I as we articulate our faith. When we want to try and connect God to people, when we want to speak to felt need, and I think we should speak to felt need, it's really tricky. It's really easy to say things like, come to God and you will be satisfied. Now I want to say to you, you know, by and large, that is true. But I hope you know that we should never come to God to get satisfied. It's a brilliant byproduct. It's one of the promises. But we come to God because we recognize that we need him. We come to God that we recognize we're separated from him. And that he's incredibly holy. And we are anything but incredibly holy. And there needs to be a forgiveness taking place. Which you know the gospel made possible through Jesus. And I think if we're in danger sometimes of distorting the Christian message. To make it somehow more palatable. But that doesn't communicate. That's not what communicating the gospel is. I want to I give the whole gospel out. You see, I would rather preach the whole gospel, and I hope that I do, and see less people come to faith. 
But knowing that those who do come to faith have come to faith under the understanding of the gospel. And I, I, don't, I try not to be judgmental, but sometimes I see people who are supposed to be preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel. And I think, and they became Christian. I think, well, what was their understanding? What, what did they think they were doing when they respond? What were they responding to? So I think we've got to really be careful that we don't distort the Christian message. And it's a massive temptation. Let's not be ashamed of the whole message. Let's not hold back from that. So in your personal evangelism, let's make sure that we don't distort the Christian message. I think also there are bad methods. Now let me just qualify this. I'd rather people do it badly than not do it at all. Now, you may disagree with me on this. Let me give an example. I was walking through a city centre with a friend of mine a few years back. And we walked past a man who was stood outside with a big Bible, and he was giving it large. He was telling everybody where they were going to some city called hell or something like that. And he was telling them, and go, that's right, keep on walking by to your eternal destiny. Okay. Now, do I think that is the best method? No. My mate said to me, he said, look, I can't believe it, it's shameful. So I said to my mate, just out of interest, when did you ever last do anything like that? And he said, well, I don't really. I said, well, do you know what, when did you last share your faith with somebody? Well, I don't really, because I just love people. I went, oh, it's good that you love people. But I said to him, I'd rather him do it the way he's doing it than you not do it the way you're not doing it. Does that make sense? And, and I, Listen, I, I want us to get our methods good. But I, I'm, I'm just glad people are, because I know people that God has used in those situations and circumstances. Even in recent weeks and months, I know of people who've passed by a preacher that you and I would, as Christians would go, Phew. now, don't get me wrong, I think they can do it better. But I think in our personal evangelism, we can be as guilty as that because we sometimes get on one. It's like we, we're, in, we're like an exocet missile, aren't we? It's like any sniff of a non-Christian who may be vaguely interested in God in any way, shape or form. Then that's it. We're like, we're straight in and we give it large and unleash the full artillery of the gospel. And we think, oh, it's great. Really communicated there. No, you didn't. You annoyed. You irritated, but you didn't communicate. I'll give you that. You probably, probably enforced what he already thinks about Christianity, but you didn't communicate. So we need to think about better methods in your personal evangelism, because that's, we're not thinking about strategy here of churches, we're thinking about personal evangelism. How good are your methods? But I think there's some bad methods. I also think there's a bit of a lack of motivation in the church when it comes to personal evangelism. And, and that's there for all kinds of reasons. Failure. It's there because of life circumstances. And uh, I realise I'm slightly preaching to the converted this evening because you're all here. And that's good. But, and I'm through, this is not a complaint. But it, wouldn't it be good if every member of your church could have come to this? I'm not griping, you understand what I'm saying? And there's, there's all kinds of priorities that kick in. I understand about that. I've got a family, young children, busy boy. But I think there is, by and large, a bit of a lack of motivation in the church to share faith. So that's why evangelism doesn't work sometimes. I think there's a lack of love, if I'm really, really honest. I think if, if, I, could, if I could ask God to do one thing, it would be, Lord, just help us love people. You say, Mike, that has to be something God does. I used to think that. I used to think that I can't make myself love my neighbours anymore. Changed my mind. Completely changed my mind. Because I've discovered by spending time with my neighbours, the ones particularly that I spend time with, I've, I've grown to love them a lot more. So I think in a sense you can make yourself love people more by spending time. It's very difficult to love from a distance then I, I concede it's hard to love somebody more if you're from a distance. But I think when we get involved with people and we journey with them and we do life with them and we go out to places and we have meals with them and we just have them in our homes and, and we're in their homes and we watch England beat Scotland at rugby and all sorts of wonderful things like that. I mean, what a way to do life. And I think that's actually, when we do that, we can love people a whole lot more. Lack of God's power. Mm. I do think we're lacking a little bit in God's power. Um, they did a survey 
with some ministers. They asked the average minister how much time a day he spent in any kind of devotional time. The average was seven minutes. That's poor, isn't it? Seven minutes. I wonder if it's more or less in the pews, for want of a better phrase. It'd be, we won't run the survey tonight. You can breathe a sigh of relief. But honestly, we've, we've got to get freshly connected. I honestly believe effective personal evangelism. We've got to have our walk right. We've got to be seeking to be holy. We've got to be a lot more prayerful. We need God's power. And you will receive power. And then you'll be my witnesses. It's like, that is the outcome of receiving the power is and you will be it's almost like well you won't really have to try and do it because when you receive the power you will be it's like a an overspill it's like a an automatic thing it's a default thing and I honestly think there's a bit of a lack of power in the church I think there's a lack of power in my own life you know I'll judge myself first by the way I'm not quite walking in the power that I wished I was I'm not quite walking in the holiness that I wish I was. I'm not praying as much as I wish I was, let alone God wishes I was. And I've got to ask myself the question, if I'm genuinely sincere about reaching the lost, it's not just good to articulate like that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I think you agree with that, don't you? But I actually think we've got a wrong understanding of success. I do honestly think we've got a wrong understanding of success. We think we're not being successful in evangelism. In some ways we're not, but I I honestly think we've got a wrong understanding of success. I've introduced this before when we did the Creating an Evangelism Culture. You've got a copy of this in the back of your workbooks. This is something called the Engels Scale. Actually, there's a little word missing there for some reason. Let me explain what the Engels Scale is. The Engels Scale suggests there are three people involved in evangelism okay number one God's role his role is to reveal himself is to convict people and I'm not quite sure why the word's gone missing there but the word that should be there you've got it in there is is, uh, sanctifying people is kind of cleaning them up now it's really really interesting we spend so much time getting involved in the bits that we shouldn't do and don't spend our time getting involved in the stuff that we should do So we stress out about people not becoming Christians. It's nothing to do with you. Whoever said that, people becoming Christians, has got anything to do with me. That's God's bit. We get involved with things like, you know, sanctification. That's God's bit. All we've got to do is teach what the Bible says. That's the deal. And God has to do all of that. So this is what I want to release you of any pressure. Okay? If you never lead a person to Christ, it's not your fault. So long as you've talked to them and you've done it, you've, you've, you've articulated and you, you're filled with the Spirit and living in God's power. Okay? That's our responsibility. You know that, don't you? It's God's responsibility to actually bring people to Him. And that's why I'm not keen when preachers stand up and say, When was the last time you led somebody to Christ? I think that's a really, really bad thing to say to people. All that does is it makes us feel rubbish. Do you agree with me? No, I'm not, I'm not being funny, but I feel rubbish all the time about how rubbish I am at being a rubbish Christian. And I think I'm a lot more rubbish than you are. Anybody else feel rubbish that they're just not doing this Christianity like six of us? The rest of you are perfect. Write a book, you'll sell millions. You really will. You just committed your first sin by lying and being proud, all right? But... So what I will say to you though is when was the last time you tried to tell somebody about Jesus? That I think is fair. That is, that is, that is a fair challenge to throw out. Not when did you last somebody, lead somebody to Christ, but when did you last tell somebody about Jesus? That is a fair challenge, is it not? Yeah, understandable. We may or may not lead people. Some people can do it, some people, some people can't, some people are good at it, some people aren't. But you know what? Irrespective of how good or, or bad we think we are at personal event, we do have a responsibility to articulate our faith with people. God's bit is to convict people of their need of him and to clean them. Our bit is the proclamation, the communicator's role. That means speaking it out. Persuasion, that doesn't mean you get down on one knee and say, oh, please. That just means that you encourage people to, to go on the journey, to, try, to find out more, to understand, to learn, to, to give God a chance. That's what the persuasion element is. Follow-up, <clears throat> that's what we do with them when they become Christians. 
Now, we do have a responsibility for that, and cultivation is about helping them to see that their commitment, their new life, can come alive and, and be something really, really special and really, really important. And we're going to look at all of those kinds of things. Okay, so the angle scale says this. Minus eight, and I've highlighted that, an awareness of a supreme being, but no effective knowledge of the gospel. Let's say that's just about as far back as you can go. Now, there are some people that tell me they're atheists, but actually on closer examination, they're not. And I think there are very few genuine atheists. And I, I, I say very few just to leave myself a get-out clause, because I've discovered that in life. It's always good to leave yourself a get-out clause, isn't it? When you make bold statements, just leave a snick of a gap so you can get out if you need to. So, I think this is about as far back as most people go. They believe there is something they wouldn't say it was God. They wouldn't say it was Christian, Christian understanding of God. They wouldn't, say, they wouldn't say it was anything particularly, but they believe there is something out there. Okay, so if I talk to somebody who believes there's something out there, and they've never ever heard the gospel before, then what I've done is I've given them an initial awareness of the gospel. I've moved them from not having an awareness of the gospel to having an initial awareness of the gospel. I've moved them from minus eight to minus seven. The problem is, you're not happy with that. You feel you failed. Because we've lived under this pressure that unless we've got somebody signed, sealed, delivered and filling in a gift aid form in five minutes flat, we've somehow failed in our evangelism. We've somehow got it wrong. The Bible says make the most of every opportunity. It doesn't mean you get your M16 of the gospel and fire everybody away off the face of planet earth. It means in any given circumstance, in any given situation, what can I do to make the most of that for the kingdom of God? So that might mean to unpack the gospel it might simply mean to smile at somebody what I'm trying to bring for you this evening is balance but with a bit of challenge that's what I want to lay this foundation I don't want you to all walk around and think ah okay sarah sarah you know just see what happens I want you to be intentional I want you to be looking for God I hope you believe that God can use you I mean do we just need to start on that premise you do believe God I'm not saying he will now all right But you do believe God can. Listen, if he can use an ass, he can use you. Is that fair? Okay, so you do believe God can use you. We are on that page, aren't we? Does anybody feel that God can't use them just out of interest? If you don't, that's a pastoral matter. You need to go and see Barry. I only deal with evangelism-related issues. Okay. So we can believe God can use us. Okay, so let's be available to that. But the minus eight then says, well, let's, let's say we've got an issue of the gospel. And then we're talking to the person and they begin to, to get an awareness of the fundamentals of the gospel. We've moved them on again. Now, I think that's really successful. I think if I meet, and, and listen, I honestly believe, and we can be a bit downtrodden about this. We live in a generation, we live in an age where people know hardly anything often about the gospel. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's crazy now. And, and it's interesting that we assume so much as Christians when we're sharing the gospel, we assume so much about the knowledge of the person that we're articulating our faith to. We, do. we, we talk about things like, so you know God created Adam and Eve and they're going, never heard of them. I never heard of them. Now, there's still pockets in our culture where people have, but we've, we've got to go a lot further back now. This is the problem. And uh, it's interesting, Tim and I were having a conversation about that group of um, people who are actually not even asking questions about God. It's not even in their thinking. I mean, that's another challenge altogether, isn't it? So if we can introduce people, then we're moving them on. And that's successful. But the problem... Okay, let me run it by this way. Let's suppose, and Barry said to me, Mark, we want a mission weekend. We're going to do a good old-fashioned mission weekend, which I'm, I'm up for, by the way. I think there's still a, a good place for those. But let's say we did one. And let's say we did a, an event on a Friday, an event on a Saturday morning, an event on a Saturday evening, an event on a Sunday morning, an event on a Sunday evening. And it was all evangelistic. And let's say we worked really well. We really prayed. We really got to grips in prayer. We invited all our friends. We spoke to them. We talked to them. We invited along and we saw a couple of hundred come through the door over the course of that weekend. But let's say that not one of them became a Christian. 
Let's say that not one of them wanted to sign up and go on Alpha. I would guarantee that even in this fantastic church, there would be people who would have thought, that didn't work. Wouldn't it? That would be true. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, sorry, what do you mean that didn't work? We've just explained the gospel to 200 people who now know enough of the gospel to respond. What's not worked about that? What you mean is nobody became a Christian. And we have such a defeatist attitude and mentality when it comes to personal evangelism. I want you to stop stressing out that people don't come to faith. Just share. Share. Let people get an initial understanding, initial awareness of the gospel. That's successful. Let's make sure we're articulating. Make sure we're communicating. Let's make sure we're loving. Let's make sure we've got the power of God. All that's really crucial. But truthfully, we can only do our bit. But let's make sure we do our bit. Let's make sure we do it to the best of our ability. But obviously creating space for God to work to the best of his ability. The rest of it basically goes through the different steps. Now, obviously, you know, these matrix, or matri, whatever the plural of matrix is, these, um, these um, tables, matrixes, the thing is, if I say that, I never know when to stop, okay? Matrix. Matrix. Matrix what? What? Matron. Matrices. Who knew it was matrices? Ah, I feel thick. It's amazing how so many people can be so wrong, isn't it? It's incredible. These matrices, <laughs> it doesn't all quite comfortably happen like this, as I mentioned, but this is an interesting thing. You see the rejection bit in the middle there? Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and you, you come away thinking, God, that was phenomenal. We really went somewhere there. And then you meet them like a couple of days after and you talk to them again and you're thinking, What's happened? It's like, did I have that dream? Was that a dream? Because I thought we journeyed somewhere. Have you ever had that kind of experience? What's happening is this, the rejection period. It's my observation that before people say the big yes, they have to say the little yes lots of times. They have to swing between yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, what's the plural of that then? If I had some cuffs on my shirt, I'd adjust them. Do you know what I mean? You're not so clever now, are you? (laughs) But do you know what I mean? It's that kind of stage that they go through. There's this kind of constant need to accept and reject, accept and reject. And if we're not careful, we're thinking, you're rejecting. And what we end up saying is stupid things like, well, if you're not saying yes, you're saying no. And people are going, no, I'm not. I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe... I'm just saying, I need some space to think this through. I've never heard it before. And I think we have to allow for that kind of investigation. It's what I call helping people to stay in the healthy maybe. They're not going to say no. They're maybe not ready to say yes. Now we want at some point them to say yes. And there comes a point where we have to maybe help move them along a little bit. But let's give people the opportunity to say the little yes and stay in the healthy maybe I would rather have that because I can take them on to the next step and the next step and the next step does you understand what I mean by that so that's really really crucial don't be disheartened because people appear to be rejecting and let's understand at the end of the day it's a spiritual battle going on I mean let's not underplay that I don't know anything about spiritual warfare I'm rubbish on it, to be honest with you. I mean, I can shunder and kashinda, and I'm, I'm all right with that, all right? So I can get stuck in there, all right? And uh, I've, I've got a feeling that spiritual warfare needs to be a little bit about holy lives as well, prayer of a righteous man and all that kind of stuff. But what I do understand is this, and I really felt God show me one day that there is never a more intense moment of spiritual activity than at the, pers- than at the time when a person is on the journey to saying yes to God. And at its height, height, when they're going to say yes to God. And I think we should never, ever underplay that. Let me give you a little bit of anecdotal proof. You would not believe how many times when I'm preaching the gospel 
a child starts crying when it comes to the appeal I've got a problem by it by the way it's, my, my wife and I we talk about this all the time or something happens it's unbelievable and you just I just it feels so often that there's an intensity here I don't understand it I'm, I'm, I honestly it's, it's not my expertise and I, I guess even in this room there were people again who can speak into that in a much better way than, than I can but I do honestly think we should never ever underestimate the spiritual activity the battle that goes on in the heavenly realms over the souls of people so let's not let's not under understate that and that's why this whole thing is going on they're accepting rejecting accepting rejecting and I, I don't want to combat that I don't want to set them back I want to see how I can come alongside and help them a little bit okay so what is evangelism first of all it's partnership Matthew twenty-eight twenty, go into all the world and make disciples. Now, I love this. Look at this. And surely I am with you always. It's like God saying, I don't really need to say this, but I do need to say it. It's a given. It's a given. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love this one as well. Mark sixteen twenty. Uh, then the 11 disciples went out, etc., etc. The Lord worked with them and confirmed his word. I love that thought, you know. We, we, we talk, don't we, a lot about making sure we're working with the Lord. And that's, that's a good theology. That's a right theology. But I love this because it's like the Lord. I mean, forgive my slightly sanctified, crazy imagination, okay? But I kind of, when, when I see that verse, it, it, my mind thinks that, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I realize there's theological flaws in this. So don't get too carried away. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having a little bit of a conversation up there in heaven. Okay, and Father, just out of the corner of his eye, he, he, he happens to glance upon a, a bunch of guys doing some evangelism. Okay, and he just says, just one second, I'm going to work with that. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to get a piece of that. I'm going to get in that. Because I think actually, in terms of sharing our faith, I don't think we need to ask God to go with us. I don't think we need to ask, is it right for me to do it? I think we do it. We do it sensitively, we do it under the power of the Holy Spirit, and I honestly, honestly, honestly believe, because of that passage there, that God looks at it and goes, I'm getting involved with that, I'm working with them. So be encouraged, the Lord's working with you. He's with you, as you're trying to share your faith, he's with you. And I think we do well to understand that it genuinely is a partnership. Between humans doing the proclamation, the testimony, the invitation, the social concern, but also between the Holy Spirit giving us the empowering, the signs, the conviction, the conversion and the growth. And uh, I honestly feel that we need to recognise that partnership. Proclamation, Peter preaching, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But then the personal contact, Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's been really interesting. People have said, well, of course, the, the Billy Graham days have gone. It's interesting that London have invited, I think it's Franklin back, to do a big kind of citywide mission. And the, the grounds, the reasoning for saying that those days are gone is because now it's all about personal contact. And when I meet people like that, I said, look, you had a massive misunderstanding of how Billy Graham operated. He worked on the basis that you were doing the personal contact. He worked on the basis that you were sharing your faith with people. He worked on the basis that you would be the ones that would be trained to counsel and to sort people out. Nothing's changed. We still need proclamation. We still need to speak out what the gospel is. And just in case you're thinking that the preaching isn't work, I see lots of people each year become Christians. Proclamation is still working. God is still using proclamation. And he'll never stop. God's still using personal contact. He'll never stop. It's the way he's always done it. And as far as I can see, it's probably the way he's always going to do it. So it's about proclamation and personal contact. Right, I've got a little task for you. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 12. Okay, it's a great little verse, this. Oh, sorry, just got a bit, of a bit of a twitch then. Deuteronomy 31, verse 12. Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the children, and the aliens living in your town so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Now, those of you who were here when we did the creative evangelism culture, there's a goodly number of you here. We looked at this verse within the context of uh, church evangelism. But we also want to look at this verse within the context of our personal evangelism. And, and so I, I think in here there's, there's five keywords, and I just want to show you what those five keywords are. Assemble the people, the men, 
the women, the children and the aliens living in your town so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Now, if you would say to me, Mark, g- give me in a nutshell what is your understanding of evangelism, this would be it. This would be it. Attention. By the side of assemble, put the word attention. If we're going to articulate, if we're going to communicate, if we're going to do this evangelism stuff that we've been talking about, we've got to get people's attention. Agreed? So how do we get people's attention? One of the ways we get people's attention is by good living, right living. And our walk, as the old adage says, has to match our talk. If people see a consistency, I think that will grab people's attention. But also the way we communicate has to grab people's attention. We've got to use words and concepts that they understand. We've got to speak to people where they're at. Not so that we can get them to where we're at, which is what we've often thought. We need to be with people, do life with them. That's going to get people's attention. And when we get opportunities that we're not forcing to happen, when we get opportunities to share our faith, we talk in ways that people understand. So that's the attention. By the side of listen... Put interest. I think most Christians are boring. I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm a Christian and sometimes I just think to myself, just get some kind of interest, will you? Because I'm, I'm really, I'm losing the will to live here talking to you. Because all they ever go on about is church. Oh, and listen, I like church. Church is good. I'm not saying church is bad. Church is fantastic. But how on earth can we be interesting to people that don't know the Lord if all we talk about is church? If we don't do anything else, if we don't have any interest, if we don't do anything to do with life. I love church. You need to understand I love church. But I listen to some Christians' journey through the week and all they ever do is church. Now, please, I'm sure, Pastor, you're happy about that. Okay. So please, I don't, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying stop coming to church. If you, if you say that I said stop coming to church, I will hunt you down. I really will. Because that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, do life. You are a human being. Be one. Because we're, we have nothing in common often. Okay. One of the saddest things, I get a little bit upset about it. So if I get a bit emotional, just carry on without me, I'll recover. But I did, I did an event for a church, Curry Comedy and Christianity, okay, in an Indian restaurant. For those of you who don't know what Curry Comedy and Christianity evenings are, it's an evening of curry, comedy, and Christianity. <laughs> Creatively called the three C's. People, we invite, we'd said to this church, right, invite your friends. And blokes in the church, and women do this as well. I don't want to get anybody to invite. <laughs> Pardon? You haven't got anybody to invite. I just find that a strange concept. So, but maybe some of you might struggle to, to invite somebody to something. What are we doing? If we would struggle to invite somebody, we're living lives that don't connect with people at all. It's because I, I just think our, we've raised our dwelling in the church and not in the world. And I know that as a church you're going on a journey, particularly with Mr. Hudson, about making sure we impact the kingdom of God out there in the workplace. So I know that this is where you're pushing. But I want to say to you, we've got to live lives that connect with people. And when we do live lives that connect with people... And actually we'll find that the religious words that we so often use will just dissipate. It's really, I pick out accents quite easy and it was, it's really interesting because I was chatting to a mate of mine quite a lot and whenever I was with him, I started speaking like him. I started picking up little twangs. I didn't do it intentionally. And you know, if, if, you, go, if you go to France and you want to learn the French language, the best thing is go to France. So live with the people. So if you want to know who you spend your time with, listen to your language. Now, I'm not on about swearing, but I'm on about listening to your language. Because if you spend time with people that aren't Christians, 
you won't use hallelujah all the time. I mean, I, mean, I know somebody that uses hallelujah like a comma. Well, she does. He says it most inopportune moments. It's like at church one Sunday, they were announcing somebody had died, and he said, hallelujah, and I'm thinking, no, not hallelujah. No, oh, hallelujah, no. It's weird, we don't, why do we just we invoke have this strange subculture we've somehow got ourselves into? And we're just not interesting to people. We just need to do life. If you want to be effective in evangelism, we've got to do life. Okay, moving on because we're drawing to an end of the first half. Spiritual concern, learn. What do we want people to learn? We want people to learn that God loves them. But we want people to learn that God's interested in their life. That he's more concerned about their health than the doctor. More concerned about their financial predicament than the bank manager. I think we need to teach people that God's concerned about their whole life. And within that context, we teach them the spiritual principles of the gospel. Why? Because God's interested in them. And God wants them to come through to know him. So, learn spiritual concerns. Application. That's what the word fear means here. It doesn't mean that they fall down trembling. It means that they see this is something that's real. And it presents them with a challenge that they realise this is a real God. And it begins to be applied to their life. That's one of the brilliant things about our testimony. We can show people how it applies to real life. And response follow. We want people to respond to say yes or no or maybe. So in our personal evangelism let's make sure that we've got people's attention by the way we live and the way we communicate. That we keep them interested. That we teach something of the gospel and and the the greater message of the Christian faith and that it, it applies to real life and that we give people an opportunity to respond. Okay, we're going to have a little break uh, as the guys are just sorting the, the bits of tea out, let me mention a couple of resources for you. It'll take me two minutes. And uh, my good friend Tim, who's my colleague, uh, he's going to be perched there. He'll extract himself from his very comfy chair, possibly. Okay. And uh, he'll sell you some resources. Okay. This is a book called More Ways Than One. Um, I've written a chapter in this book. I joined another um, uh, bunch of British evangelists who were all doing evangelism in Britain. And we did a whole batch of stuff on different types of evangelism testimony, evangelism in a pluralistic society, all kinds of stuff. Um, and uh, evangelism through the local church. It's a brilliant book. I can say that because I only wrote one chapter. Otherwise, it's a bit arrogant. Okay. But it is a brilliant book. And we know of churches that have bought 30 or 40 copies for their leaders Uh, so more ways than one acknowledging not that there's more than one way to God but that there's more than one way to communicate the gospel to people and uh, then another book that Emma and my wife wrote for Kingsway if you're involved in any kind of uh, groups well you're all involved with groups that's why you're here tonight and in your home groups if you want to think about how can we make some of those evangelistic or involved in any kind of maybe young people's work we've written this book now this book is gives you 19 talks and lashings that's lashings of ideas for evangelistic events do you know how much this retails at? I'll tell you seeing as you asked oh thank you I do have you thank you very much yes this would normally cost you £9.99 which is cheap (laughs) I'm not asking you this evening for (laughs) £9.99 ladies and gentlemen if I said to you £8 you would go Mark you're selling your life away what are you doing with it you'd be foolish at that price wouldn't you not to buy one I'm not asking you for 8 7 or even 6 if you gave me a fiver I'd say Take some money back for four pounds. That is four English pounds. You can take this book away with you this evening. Four English pounds. Can't say fairer than that. Don't don't offend me by not taking up this offer. (laughs) What does the money go to? It simply goes to uh, helping us to produce more resources. But if if you haven't come with any money, you can bring it with you next week, and uh, they're going to be here every week. Please buy these resources. Uh, don't feel guilty. If you don't, I'll find some other way to feed the children. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. We do take checks. We take cards. Yeah, we haven't got a machine, but we will take your cards. Not a problem. 